You're listening to the seventh episode of Season 2 of the Wicked Podcast. I'm Mike Moore. As in Season 1, this podcast goes into a strict Christian upbringing and traditional isolationist church climate not working out, but it is not an attack on faith. In fact, it's mainly about trying to retain some connection to God, despite everything and everyone. It's also about depression and words and music. Each episode is me explaining what was going on in my life that occasioned the writing of a song from my unreleased follow-up concept album, Peter Gray Grows Up. I'll continue for the two of you who are still listening. Episode 7, Head First Into the World. A group of brethren young folks going into bars and movie theaters, restaurants and dance clubs was a bit like astronauts walking on the moon. We wanted to try it all, we wanted to fit in, but it was like an incursion into what we were being told was enemy territory. Taylor Hale's brethren actually weren't, aren't as far as I know, allowed to eat in the same room as anyone not in good standing in their group, which rules out even eating in restaurants or sitting in coffee shops. We Tunbridge Wells brethren had it easier and only had to shun very special individuals who had been in our group as people who took communion as full members but now were in trouble for something and were judged wicked people who weren't even to be eaten with. The idea was supposed to be that they were in timeout and would be welcomed back in at some point. Nepean, Ottawa didn't do that though. They just booted people they found uncooperative or who didn't fit well in the group in terms of personality or philosophy. And as we have established, we were being taught for generations that true, born-again, Bible-believing Christians didn't do anything at all unless they prayerfully knew for certain that it was the Lord's will for them, which normally operated as code for saying anyone among us who wanted to be accepted fully and treated with respect couldn't do anything at all unless they knew that their fellow members agreed that it might well be the sort of thing that looked like what they felt the Lord's will tended to generally look like most of the time. All of which is another way of saying, if we look at your decisions and they don't meet our expectations for what an upstanding brethren lifestyle looks like, if it seems freer than that, we will treat you as someone disobedient to God and his word, as someone following his own will rather than the Lord's and unwilling to surrender all to him. And we'd not only needed to be quiet and meek and mild at church and at school, many of us, but at home as well. And some homes considered tacos or pizza excitingly foreign, a special treat for Tuesdays or Fridays maybe. Many of us had never seen people drinking wine or beer while eating their meals. Going into the sort of restaurant that had cloth napkins was fun, and not the sort of thing that we very middle-class folks did a whole lot. My dad has social anxiety, of the kind that makes him nervous about minor authority figures like toll booth operators, waitresses, and the like, so he generally stuck to the kinds of places where you didn't have to reserve or be assigned a seat or have more than one course or tip. Places where you didn't have to be afraid of accidentally ordering fish and chips only to find it had been prepared with beer batter or cooked with wine. Basically, he wanted the fast food experience of paying for the food and not having a series of random social interactions with a waitress after that. So for us, and for me, it was a novelty, going into a restaurant that wasn't a pizza place or a burger joint, trying to learn what non-sandwich and non-pizza options were nice, and order a beer or glass of wine with it all. It was awkward at first. 
We were in one place in Pennsylvania, and it was very ritzy, and I was quietly commenting to Michael on having never seen such high prices in a restaurant before, and Marcy Snyder, John's older sister, said, Don't Don't say say that that kind of thing. I asked why not, and she simply said, Because you're embarrassing. German blood will tell. Also, in the 90s, restaurants often had elaborate dessert menus that heavily featured chocolate. I would often order whatever passed for death by chocolate in the restaurant I was in. Often this was a slice of chocolate cake or chocolate pie with a small dagger of chocolate stabbing it with raspberry or cherry juice bleeding out of it. Nowadays, when it's not COVID time and I check out dessert sections and see that the establishment has avoided putting anything chocolate in the menu, except perhaps something entirely polluted with some kind of coffee flavoring, I always think, interesting Interesting choice. choice. No No chocolate. chocolate. Yeah, Yeah. no No one one likes likes that that stuff. stuff. No No demand demand for it, it, I imagine. I know that lots of people like flavoring everything to taste like someone sprinkled Sanka instant coffee crystals all over it, but I just can't eat that stuff. Certainly not for a treat. Around here, in Ottawa Valley farm country, there was a great draw to hop over the border into Quebec where the laws about drinking and so on were a bit different. For one thing, the drinking age in Ontario was 19, and alcohol was only sold at very specific government stores which tended to check ID. East of the border, though, the drinking age was 18, they seldom checked for ID anywhere, and alcohol was commonly sold at corner and grocery stores called dépanneurs. Strip clubs were everywhere, full gynecological nudity was expected and legal, and again, ID was not generally checked much, they said. I'm getting this information from the teens I went to high school with, getting their driver's license at 16, and going to Hull, Quebec, and coming back to tell the tales of their mighty adventuring. Going to the Rippers was never part of We Brethren's rebel exploratory excursions, at least in my circle. We may have been going to movies and buying alcohol and cigars, but we were quite prudish about all things sexual. An example, Doug had two cousins named Chris and Erica, who we quite liked, who were younger than most of us. They'd not been raised in Brethren families, but had been coming out to Brethren youth group activities and hanging out with all of us. Most of us had no clue about dancing. Michael Vetter, though, was fiercely, aggressively proud of his own style of primal, arty, performative dancing he was working on. He was one of those guys who didn't go dancing to dance with girls. He actually went dancing so people could watch him dance. Chris and Erica had cable, were up on what the city kids were listening to, and the dances they did, so we were very interested in what they knew. We'd go to dance clubs of the kind people actually went to, to dance to 90s dance music, and although the dance music itself was truly repellent, we tried our hand, so to speak, at dancing. We didn't do this often, but I have strong memories of doing it a few times. Chris was particularly proud of his running man, which he would demonstrate for me on request. Nobody was up to trying any Michael Jackson dance moves apart from the moonwalk, but we all tried that one and definitely shouldn't have, in public at least. One time, Mark and Michael's older sister Karen, the den mother of the girls of the Brethren Underground, was at a restaurant with us, where dancing regularly broke out after mealtime. The dancing started, something pretty banging came on, and Erica went out on the dance floor and started shaking her moneymaker very convincingly. Karen watched her disapprovingly for a bit, then sat down right beside me, where I sat nursing a beer and trying not to stare, and quietly said, I want to apologize for the disgusting way that Erica is moving her body right now. I'm really very sorry. I told Karen that was quite alright, because it was. As children, the vetters had all been specifically taught, as to buttocks, we don't move that part of our bodies.
If one of the other, more bashful, dare I say, larger Brethren Underground girls had been shyly doing what Erica was so vigorously doing, proto-twerking really, the other girls might well have egged her on and shouted to do more. Problem was, A, Erica certainly didn't need egging on to shake what her mama gave her, and B, what was really drawing the female ire was that she was looking very good doing it, making it a bit of a flex. We didn't have dancing in the Brethren at all any more than Methodists, who the joke went, don't want their members having promiscuous sex because it might lead to dancing. We brethren kids weren't generally allowed to go to high school dances or anything of that kind. My cousin, the one who will be mentioned in upcoming podcast episodes, doubting that we were having a global worldwide division, eventually rebelled big time after the division happened and became a champion ballroom dancer. That's every bit as stellar, rebelling against brethren upbringing, as the daughter of a missionary marrying a woman, playing kick-ass bass guitar in a kick-ass all-lesbian punk band while wearing a t-shirt that says asshole across the front of it and giving the finger to the camera. The first time I remember dancing, apart from a bit of lackluster square dancing in grade 3 gym class one year, was around here, in a roadhouse. My non-brethren cousin Brian's girlfriend was working at the same group home for the developmentally delayed, cognitively challenged, mentally handicapped people as I was, and they'd invited me to dinner at a Tex-Mex roadhouse of the kind Canadians in the Ottawa area love to visit. Well, the protocol for country lads around here is to routinely refuse to dance for their entire lives, and for the country girls to try to get them to. Stephanie knew there was no point bugging my cousin Brian, so she started bugging me. I explained that I'd never danced before, but Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama came on. So Steph really needed someone to dance to it with, and literally dragged me out onto the dance floor by the wrist. She began happily white-girling away, grinning from ear to ear, with an occasional hair toss and arms over her head booby shake. I just imitated the lackluster shuffling with guarded hand movements I saw the miserable guys around me doing. Steph crowed with delight. See? She yelled over Ronnie Van Zant's vocals. I knew you could dance. You're a musician. Curry, hearing news of this, was quite skeptical, but said it did stand to reason that if I could play a guitar on beat, then maybe I could learn to dance on beat too. For the record, I can't dance. It's no doubt hard for some listeners to imagine us growing up viewing the world as being on its last legs about to burn. That used to be very contrary to the futurist, progressive, excited optimism that was very much in vogue. But now, with talk of pandemics, overpopulation, oppressive corporations and governments, climate change and race, class and party wars, suddenly this is how many people view things now. The view we had of our meeting, our little group, being the one with the correct view of the world, mainly that the world was a con, a big seductive trap, selling itself to you like a syphilitic whore, seeking to infect everyone with its sickness, used to seem paranoid and quaint. Now just sub-society or the patriarchy in for where we had the world, and the messages are indistinguishable. People in their little echo chambers, careful never to hear anyone voicing unorthodox or opposing views to their own. Our excommunication and shunning of people seem to be very Puritan and odd. Until cancel culture, of course. It might be hard to imagine us believing in demons, that there existed inhuman, non-corporeal powers, forces, wills, and agendas, which had the express purpose of ruining us morally, financially, physically, and psychologically, of harvesting us, feeding on us like parasites, chewing us up, and spitting us out, 
But nowadays, we look at social media and big corporations and governments, and again, we're seeing things that exact same way. We've just changed the name of what we call our demons. Hard to remember that when we went into a pub or a movie theater or a dance club, people were prophesying that we were getting sucked into a corrupt world that was enticing us and was deeply toxic and problematic and that we were blind to all of this. We had to disregard or ignore all of that to have a good time. All that kind of thing has gone mainstream too, where we had strict fundamentalist ant scolds and overprotective mothers at church making us feel awkward about playing Dungeons and Dragons or playing with Barbies or toy guns or listening to music with violent or misogynistic lyrics. And this was seen as very old-fashioned and conservative. Once again, now all the cool soccer moms are raising their kids to look at toys and music and TV and movies and social media, in fact the entire world, as a place which propagates twisted views of sexuality, gender, beauty, and all the rest of it. Where parents might once forbid kids reading books which depicted children doing magic because it might tempt them to dabble in the occult, now some parents forbid their kids reading books or watching movies that don't get depictions of Wicca right. I have seen an interesting conjunction lately of parents who simultaneously forbid their kids horror movies, Harry Potter, and any depictions of sexualized or glamorized women for fundamentalist Christian reasons, while also denying their kids refined sugar, foods with glutens, social media, and in fact vaccinations. The homeschool movement is growing, and it has parents pulling their kids from schools for extreme leftist reasons, extreme rightist reasons, extreme centrist reasons, that can be a thing, or some combination of all three. We have some parents pulling their kids out of their school because they're not allowed to have a Christmas pageant there, while others are pulling their kids out of a different school because they had one. We have parents alike objecting to their kids reading novels in English class, but one group because the Lord's name was taken in vain therein, while others were upset that racism is depicted accurately in the novel down to the N-word appearing in full. None of this works well for people in their 20s, unless the shouting, sign-waving, throwing things, and yelling at authority figures in the streets actually is the entertainment, the tribal catharsis, the performance, the show, dare we say it, a modern take on the religious rally or revival by people trying to create new families, tribes, and religion that fit them better than their own broken ones. If you're all in the street, with matching signs, hats, slogans, wristbands, chants, thoughts, and feelings, you're not trying to pursue your own unique, special, individual identity and separation from others. Quite the opposite. And it may feel deeply emotional, cathartic, and freeing. It might impart its own kind of mountaintop experience. But it's not just entertainment. It's not just for fun. To have fun, recreation, rather than social work, you've got to decide to go out into the world, not to do battle with it, but to see if there's any fun to be had out there, any beauty, any connection, any catharsis. Often this is about exploring, seeing what's out in the world, rather than going out and telling the world what it is, and that what it is, is wrong. So that's what we did. We had to get over being taught that as Gene Simmons of Kiss had his face painted as a demon, and Judas Priest had Judas Iscariot's name in their band name, and Iron Maiden and Van Halen and ACDC and White Zombie all appeared to be playing with sacrilege or the occult on their album covers, that these guys all devoutly believed in Satan and were seeking new converts to Satanism. We had to get past judging the world every now and then if we wanted to enjoy anything in it. We had to test the waters and see for ourselves how deep this possibly problematic stuff went, and if there was worthwhile fun to be had despite, as the Bible says, outward appearances. Ultimately, it all came down to if you thought you could handle yourself in the world, in society, in the nightlife. Could you? 
Had your doom been predicted by all of the adult figures in your life who viewed the world, society, the government, the infrastructure, entertainment, Hollywood, and corporations as entirely problematic and more than your match? Were they going to be proven right? Or could you go out and have fun without that meaning you'd sold your soul and your data to something infinitely ravenous? Well, a bunch of us went out into the 90s and had fun. Some of us carefully and prayerfully. And it felt great. I hesitate to think about what shape I'd be in spiritually, psychologically, and in every other way if I'd crunched myself smaller and squashed into that shrinking box back then and never grown naturally to my natural adult size and shape, and how twisted and stunted I might be now. COVID has given all of you a tiny taste of having most of the world taken away from you and being expected to live behind a mask and shut yourself inside away from all the contamination. Hearing a constant stream of fear about how easy it is to get infected and how incredibly careful we will all have to be now and how we're all in this together only very much alone. Of being afraid to even touch or be in the same room as something or someone who might be corrupting, defiling, or contaminating. Of tattling on each other if someone saw anyone not being as careful as we're all supposed to be. Of being alone and isolated and disconnected so much of the time. Of being out of the loop and supremely under-challenged and under-stimulated. Of having one's social dealings limited to a severely reduced in-group. Now... Imagine it with no internet. In a household with no screens of any kind, apart from the ones to keep the bugs out, imagine growing up like that, living this way for 15 or 20 years, and never knowing any other way to live. You can't go into a movie theater. You could get infected. You can't go out to a hockey game, concert, or dance. You might get infected. Have to stay in the house. Do the rituals to protect yourself. Do them again. Get vaccinated at church several times a week against sin and the world, never minding if it makes you feel a little sick each time and starts to seem like overkill. What would have happened when you finally went on a liberating flight out into the world, stretching your wings for the first time, free as a bird and unafraid of anything apart from being reported to the authorities of the church and punished for living in such sinful liberty? I enjoy making soundscape, but it's a lot to ask people to listen to it on an album. As podcast content, though? Maybe. For these episodes, I've been retrieving and recreating the sounds going on around me during the creation of my own music. I realized once YouTube became the new TV that I could kind of recreate my 90s adventures in the world for myself, mixing preaching I still listen to each week, sounds of video and computer games I played back then, and snippets of banter from bands and stand-up comedians that I actually saw live and movies I saw at the theater with pretend movie audience noise added. So I did this. It turns out an awful lot of shows that I saw live were secretly tape and or video recorded and now on YouTube where I can get them. So I edited this together. I undercut it with sounds of opening and pouring beer as the live music was accompanied by a beer usually a beer, in my case, or a Strongbow Cider, or Orion Coke. More beers, and not only beers, in the case of some of the others. But I think it really kind of shows what was going on with me when I wasn't at church, work, or doing my own music. Apart from sitting still for the preaching, I wasn't supposed to be doing any of this stuff in the montage. My hope is that some people listening will hear something they recognize and go, Oh yeah, I think a person's 20s should actually be about going out into the world without your parents, and keeping safe, 
but seeing what's out there and what's fun for you. I wasn't supposed to have a 90s, but here it is for your edification. Forget that, boys and girls. The all-seeing eye of God is watching everything you do. When you do things just to please yourself, that is sin. And Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. What do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen. So listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid shit? and somebody came up to me after the show and I hadn't mentioned where I was from and they said, are you from New Jersey? And I, and I said, yeah. Does it show? And she said, yeah. And she walked away. In a day of departure and ruin and confusion as we have in Christendom today. We will try to tame you, name you and frame you, aim you where you don't belong. They know where you've been from, not where you're going. That is the source of the songs mm -hmm. 
Now, I think you and I realize that in the religious world around about us, the particular ministry entrusted to the Apostle Paul has very little claim upon the hearts of so many. And when that which was specially entrusted to Paul is presented, they turn a deaf ear to it. Oh, that was Paul wrote that, or Paul said that, and they find various excuses for turning a deaf ear to the marvelous truth that was entrusted by a risen and an ascended Savior to his servant Paul. They took one look at me and said, Oh my God! Get a haircut and get a real job. Get a haircut, get a real job. Clean your act up and don't be a slob. Get it together like a big brother Bob. Why don't you get a haircut? Get a real job. Get a real job. Get a real job. Get a real job. My, uh, my parents' bedroom today, and uh, I just couldn't resist getting some of my dad's nice black socks for the show tonight. So, oh yes, that's a good look. Will you be mowing the lawn later in them, Jim? Will you be mowing the lawn later in them? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. No more secrets about our dad, Jim. There's connections that contaminate. There's things in this world that contaminate. Not only moral questions, but doctrinal questions contaminate. And ecclesiastical connections contaminate as well. Is that the right line? What the hell? We'll put it in. <laughs> <laughs>
said, don't come at all, and these are the days that never end. And some nights you're breathing fire, and some nights you're caught in ice. Some nights you're like nothing I've ever seen before, you again. And maybe I'm lonely, so I'm qualified to be. That's just one and only, one and only promise I can keep. I believe the incident here is more than simply a warning of how very, very easily any one of us can slip from this place of precious privilege back down to the level which we once had left. So I walked up to our tourist information booth. I walked up and I said, yeah, so uh, tell me about some people who were here last year. <laughs> I can levitate birds, but nobody cares. It's a good thing there's gravity, otherwise when birds die, they just stay right up there. <laughs> Hunters would be all confused. I took a lie detector test. No, I didn't. So I was laying in bed with my girlfriend reading the second-hand diary that I bought. I don't remember this. the piper is calling you to join him. She's buying her stairway to heaven. We know that's not possible. And also they say, words have two meanings. They certainly do have two meanings. Hello, lady. That was good. I said, if I could dance, I'd hop off the stage and jump down and grab you. crushing it out. He steals the palm lit cigarette and ditches the lit cigarette in his ear. He exhales smoke to misdirect the smoke coming out from around his hat. He steals the pencil. He simulates taking the pencil, which is simulating a cigarette from the non-existent cigarette pack, and puts a simulated cigarette in his mouth.
can't go wrong with Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he wants you there. Don't become an empty chair because somebody said something to you or didn't say something to you. Don't become an empty chair because you don't feel there's anything for you in the meeting. Be there because Jesus is there. What is it? Watch out! It's a monster! Let me take care of this. Australia there. I was on holiday before I started working there and I was sunbathing. I was on the balcony of this house. I don't go to the beach for a few weeks because I'm a Scottish person. And <laughs> I tend to frighten people on the beach because being Scottish I'm pale blue. <laughs> it takes me a week to get white, you know. have heard of group after group who worshipfully sing for Satan. They know he is real. God tells us he's not willing that any should perish. And that includes Mick Jagger and Alice Cooper and all of the rock singers. But they have a choice to make. And playing the part of Alice Cooper tonight, me! judge with the sight of his eyes when he put the proposition up between those two harlots about whose baby it was. He had to prove it out by the sight of his eyes, but he had the wisdom to do that. The Lord has wisdom without that. He doesn't have to see it. He already sees it.
your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. judge after the sight of his eyes. Even the sight of our eyes sometimes deceives. He's going to judge with equity what's right. Now, if the Lord has been filling our hearts and souls, if the idols that otherwise would seem so worthwhile, so attractive, have become but worthless dung to any one of us. And I heard him tell the warden, there's a song my mama sang. Could I hear it once? Before you move along Let him sing me back home With a song I used to
big thing in the 90s was dance remixes of songs that I actually liked. I hated the remixes of the songs that I liked. For this week's song, if you could call it that, I have memorialized what it was like to go out to a 90s dance club by doing a really annoying techno redo of my annoying French song Hippipotam. Mindy is French, so it was obviously a job to pull her in on, and she's usually very tolerant of my very random requests of her. I'd been in a band, with Tyler and Jay, with other Tyler on keyboards, and Tyler and Jay's dad Rick on drums.
And after that, Tyler and I were in a band together, the Tyler, not, not Tyler, and Jay was briefly the guitarist in a three-piece band called Professor Lestrange and his Band of Degenerates with my brother-in-law Mish on vocals and their friend Derek making techno beats. perhaps thought better of being a high school teacher in a band with the name Degenerates in the title afterward. But by then the band had broken up anyway. I knew right away that Derek could easily make annoying techno on his laptop in about five minutes for me, no problem. Problem was Derek loved techno and said, I don't want to make annoying techno. So I made him. Well, it wasn't nearly annoying enough, so I worked to make it even less listenable adding in various annoying 90s drum machine sounds and gibberish French in a ham-fisted way, and editing it to sound like one entering and exiting a 90s dance club in Quebec. You'll have to imagine it at ear-splitting volumes with way too much low-end and the smell of sweaty French people smoking and wearing too much cologne. Out of kindness, I made it only pop radio single length.